I want to um, continue just a touch from last week because sometimes I get done with a particular message and then I feel like I ended up with a better insight afterwards and I don't always get to review that. Today I'm going to do that anyway. Uh, We've been looking at the prodigal son and aware that his lifestyle had probably brought even a physical stench upon him, particularly in his clothes. You know, that, that when he was coming, um, not only run down because he was broke and, and clothes in shreds, but most likely he smelled terrible. Been working with pigs, had uh, lived a crazy lifestyle, um, you know, and yet, if he only had one set of clothes, uh, you know, coming home. But it, it's interesting to me that the father, you know, was waiting for him, looking for him. But to reestablish him, he didn't say, okay, come on in, man, you smell bad. We'll just deal. He, he puts a robe on him and a ring. He's, he's establishing, reestablishing his identity as a son. And so for us as sons and daughters of God, when we come to Christ, he establishes new into our lives and he doesn't make us continue in the shame and the guilt of what we've done, but rather he's more interested in establishing his relationship as it was designed to be. And so he, he allows us to drop off some of the things that we sometimes feel like we should be carrying as a mark of what we, you know, I've been bad, you know, and everybody can see that. Well, he's not as interested in continuation of that as he is of establishing his relationship with us. And that's, that's a really a beautiful thing. And to just dwell on that and know that there are some things about my life that he's plenty ready to let me release so that we can continue in what was meant to be. And the only way you get from what was is to step into what is and to allow God to to set you free in that. Um, I want to continue with another parable that Jesus told, and this doesn't truly line together, but what I want to emphasize is that if we're going to live the lifestyle that God has called us to live, and if we're going to exert the patience that he's asked us to exert, and if we're going to walk in a humility that sees others as valuable, and, you know, with the, the mindset that he's asked us to, we're going to have to trust him enough to say that the same God that brought me to him and was looking for me is the same God that notices me now and is, is working to establish me as he desires. That he cares enough over my life. He cared enough to bring me into salvation that he continues to care and will orchestrate the events of my life as he sees best for me. And there's the, it's a challenge because at times, you know, I was talking with someone recently and said, 
I didn't ever question whether God was real. I questioned whether he loved me because of the way some things had worked out. And I think a lot of us have walked through seasons like that. Anyway, he says, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. He invited you, both will come and say, give your place to this person, and then you'll begin with shame to take the lowest place. He had been watching people who grabbed honor, grabbed the best places, wanted you know, the, the, the recognition of others. And he saw that particularly in the scribes and Pharisees, but he also dealt with it with his own disciples. You know, even, even at the Last Supper, he's hours away from sacrificing his life, and yet they've been arguing that day about who is the greatest. So they are not on track, but, and he has certainly got other things on his mind, but he's having to deal with that even in that moment. So if anything, it should speak to us that our selfish nature or who we are is, is what we, we tend to be, are people that love others to fawn over us and show us honor, and we like the accolades, but often that can be toxic to what we're doing in Christ. Because there's a bigger goal. There's a bigger understanding of what life is. And so he's, he's telling them, he says, if you go to a place, don't, don't be looking just to grab the best. But he goes, when you are invited, go sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. I guess the question is, if we were to view God as the host, if we view him as the one who orders life, then do we believe that he will notice us even if we're not in a place of importance? And that what he would do would establish us in what is appropriate for our lives. I mean... It's easy, particularly when you're starting your career, to chase and say, I want this. And it, and it have nothing to do with the Lord. It's more about that, I want it for me. And yes, I want God's blessing. You know, it, 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 because it's like, I, if, if he'll do it, or however he gets it, I don't care, I just want it. You know, But that's... That's not what God calls us to. He calls us to submit our lives to him. And so it's, the question comes is, if we're living life and we're feeling very ordinary, do we trust him enough to notice us and move us into place when it's appropriate? Before I go further, <laughs> I've got to acknowledge someone or... I will pay a price. No. In my own personal heart. <laughs> now, this is my wife, Shar. She, uh... <laughs> not much difference when she stands, is there? <laughs> We're uh, 17 inches different. It's great. <laughs> um, she cooks a meal nearly every Sunday. And so today, what is it, chicken? Baked chicken. So 
So just be aware. Uh, everyone's invited. Um, but it's a great way to get to know each other. So anyway, back to this. <laughs> um, he makes the declaration. He says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So he says, if you want to know some of God's agenda, you're going to have to deal with this issue. You keep trying to push yourself up, there is going to come a humbling time. But at the same time, if you're willing to humble yourself, well then know that he will notice and pick you up as is appropriate. Um, I guess it'd be good to look at what, what does humility mean, right? Uh, online, of course. <laughs> what else would you do, right? Um, Google had modest or low view of one's own importance. Uh, Webster, freedom from pride and arrogance. I didn't, I, I wasn't particularly happy with either of those. Um, and particularly like when you um, define it by what it isn't. <laughs> it seems like for a dictionary you could do better than that. But anyway, um, it does point out that our pride and arrogance are in opposition to humility that God calls us to. Um, Urban Dictionary was probably a little more on track with what I was looking for, but true humility is to recognize your value and others while looking up, um, whatever that means, but it seemed right. <laughs> um, to serve others and be for their good as well as your own, to have a realistic appreciation of your strength and also your weaknesses. Um, so that said, let's kind of continue on a few things. This idea of humbling yourself is also, it also is brought out in 1 Peter 5 when he addresses young men. When, you know, in any young man's heart, it's like, I want to accomplish. I want to make a mark. And so it was natural for him to go after this and say, uh, clothe yourselves with humility. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then he says, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. And then this verse that we all grab onto because it's so beautiful, it says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And this is one, I mean, we, we all grab onto and say, this is amazing that I actually do not have to get uptight all the time. Or I don't have to carry this angst or whatever just be, because God is looking after me. He cares for me. There have been a couple times when worry would get to me in such a way that I'd start having stomach issues. You know, I, I'd have pain, you know, and, and, I, and I'd realize that I'm really uptight right now. And I'd have to walk through this process of going, is God wanting me to walk in ill health because of these issues? Or am I overreacting? To these issues. And invariably, I'd have to say, well, God doesn't desire me to 
to just fall apart because of, you know, he's placed me in this setting and, and things are difficult. And he's not looking for me to destroy myself because I want to be conscientious. That's not him. So I'd have to go, well, which one of us is thinking goofy? Well, it's not him. And so I have to start letting things go. I have to start backing off. And I have to be willing to let some things happen that I didn't like the way they went. Or to take place that maybe it put me in a bad light and so be it. But I'd quite honestly much rather live healthy and without the stomach pain and have a pretty strong belief that that's how God wants me to live as well. So it's just... Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Here's another passage that's been very precious, and I won't share the full story now, but I was in a place of needing to change occupation but not sure how to get it done. And uh, desperate, you know, had a wife and four kids to support, and uh, was reading the scripture one morning, and it he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Philippians 1.6. Well, I, I go through this process in my heart, and it's like, I know that he's done good things in me. I know that he started this process. And it doesn't say I have to be smart for him to complete it. It doesn't say that I have to have the answers. It just says he will be faithful to complete it. And so again, it's that, do I trust him to notice me and take care of what needs to happen? And so I have, I've cherished that verse because of the power of what it did for me that morning. And times still fall back on it because there's <laughs> regularly where I'm going, I don't know what to do. Not smart enough for this. And yet, I can trust him to complete what I can't get done. It's amazing. There are a couple other passages that kind of deal with this same thing. They bring him a child, and he says, uh, you know, unless you humble yourself like a child, uh, you, or if you humble yourself like a child, you'll be the greatest in the kingdom. So he just says, look at what, how children respond and how they, they know that they don't know it all. But even in that, there's a, a beauty. He says, that's what I want to see out of your hearts. The uh, same in, in uh, Luke chapter 18. He Again, he'd watched the scribes and Pharisees, had seen them um, do everything to gain attention, and, and uh, he... He just looks at it, and he says, he tells him a story of a, t a tax collector and a Pharisee who went to pray before God. He says, the Pharisee is going, God, I thank you I'm not like others, and uh, that I do this, and I do that, and I, all the things that he was doing right. And then he points out that I'm not even like that tax collector. And yet the tax collector, it says, 
He doesn't even dare look at God or look up as, you know, not seeing, but just that, that physical attention of, do I dare look toward him? So he's saying he doesn't even have that, that God would, might even love him. But he's saying, God, have mercy on me. And Jesus says, who do you think God heard? The one who's trying to say, I got it all together, so you should do something for me? Or the one that says, I know that I don't have it all together. Please help me. And he's just saying, if our heart is in the right place, there's an opportunity for us to hear from the Lord. He goes on in that same passage, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. It's interesting that, you know, there in the New Testament, out of this passage, Jesus also said, you shouldn't be having people call you rabbi, you shouldn't have them call you father, you shouldn't have them call you teacher. And, you know, you struggle with that because, you know, well, later on, one of the gifts of, of uh, that given to the church is teaching, and you have leadership roles. And so I've, you know, Russ, well, what, you know, was this a, a hard and fast thing, or was it, what was going on here? I'm convinced that it was the attitude of, wanting to, to place yourself above others. And the New Testament church, as they wrestled through it, they, one of the things they did is that they appointed their leaders and called them deacons, which we think, oh yeah, that's a great church term. But it, the New Testament um, scholars that do the translations, they wrestle with this term because do we just say servant or do we say deacon? Because it was an ordinary term for servant. And, and so they're defining leaders as servants, but they're also they're, they're carrying this deacon or what we, you know, and so what do you want, the church term or you want the ordinary term? And they're not always sure how to, to interpret it because it's, the two are the same. It, it would probably be good if we adopted that same mindset, I'll be a servant whether it's with acknowledgement or not, I will look to bless others, whether there's accolades in it or not. And just to acknowledge that we are called to this as a people. And so we, we say, Lord, help me to trust you enough that I can live, whether low or high, knowing that you will place me where you want at the appropriate time. And if there is honor to be had or accolades in this life, they will come at your timing and in your way. And to trust him with that. We thank you for your scripture that speaks life. We thank you for the hope that we have in you. We thank you that you noticed us enough to bring us into salvation and that you have not orchestrated us after that, but you continue to notice us and orchestrate the events of our lives in a way that brings glory to you but also causes us to flourish under your care.
Amen.